We're in our final week on, um, on our topic of this is how you should pray. And I want to start by reading the scripture. It's from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. I love the Word of God. I love reading the Bible. I hope you do too. And as we know, this important passage on prayers is from the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read it then. I want to share a thought on that before we continue looking at this last part of this passage. It says, And when you pray, when, not if, when, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Lord, we thank you that today, once again, we can be together as brothers and sisters, children of the great Father of heaven. We thank you, Lord, for this portion of Scripture that we might learn from, that we might conform to the image of Christ Jesus. We thank you for your instruction. And I pray that we might glorify you as we apply your word in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be hearers, but doers of the word of God. Amen. See, when we read this, um, this important passage on prayer, some of you might know the story of the, the wise and foolish builders. The story of the one that built on the rock versus the one that built on the sand. And when the storms of life came, only the one that built on the rock was able to stand against all these things that faced. Did you guys know that this very passage is part of Jesus' teaching? That he says, this rock will help you stand. Sometimes we, we forget that there was context to why Jesus said that. And part of the context was his teaching on prayer. And when we get this thing right... Part of the promise of applying this kind of prayers in our lives is that when the storms come, we can stand. Now before I share too much of my thoughts on that, because I might get a little bit offensive on that, so let's first get into the Word, then I'll share on that. But we're in week three, and the first week we just looked at six lessons. So we just focused on the life of Jesus, and we look at six lessons that Jesus taught and lived about prayer. Now it's quite important, because each of those six are important for prayer, but the overarching reality, the overarching purpose of prayer is relationship. In everything, prayer is relational. That, that will always be the reality. That is what we looked at. And yes, there are, there are purposes in praying for one another and for our needs and for the glorification of, of, the, of God. But at the end of the day, God wants us to pray not because we have something that He hasn't heard before. 
In fact, he says, even before you say it, he knows what you're going to say. So, spoiler alert, he's like, I I know that. So, empty babbling like the pagans are worthless because God doesn't want words, he wants hearts. He he, He doesn't just want your word, he wants your heart. And I believe the most powerful prayer is an honest prayer, not a fanciful prayer. I can pull out all my big words, you know, sound all fancy when I pray, but that does, God's not impressed by my vocabulary, I promise you that. He's not going, whoa, Han is a, a clever cat, that guy, not a chance. God cares about my heart. So week one, we focused on that quite a bit, and on the second week, we, we looked at just the first portion of, of Jesus' teaching on prayer. When he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We started looking at our Father and what it means and, and that it, there's a reality in, in repentance and being redeemed in relationship as well as in surrender. Because when we approach the Father, we approach Him in a way that we surrender to His kingdom and to His will. And that portion of prayer, when you say, your kingdom come and your will be done, that should not just frame the rest of our prayers, but that which should submit our hearts to the rest of our prayers. In the same way that Jesus surrendered his prayers to God. That should surrender who we are. When we say, your will be done, we can't go, but my will in my own desires is this. Because we just said, Lord, your will, we can't backtrack on that anymore. And that's why this is first. Remember, I talked about two principles in the prayer. So two principles in this pattern that Jesus taught, and that is God's purpose and the family's needs. Again, I'm not saying your needs, because prayer is never supposed to be so selfish as what we've made it. Listen to it again. Our Father, not my Father, on earth has given us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus instructed, He didn't say, use my, my, me, my, my, me, my. Not a chance. He said, your prayer should be for the family, not just for yourself. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for yourself. Not a chance. I'm saying if you only pray for yourself, then I don't know that our prayers are totally submitted to the will of God. So those are the two principles that we've been been talking about. And it's so important because even as I said, Jesus submitted his prayer to the Father. You would remember this. This is quite a key thing. Because Jesus prayed that I might not die. That was his prayer. Lord, I do not want to be crucified. May this cup pass for me. He's like, I'm I'm not excited about what's waiting for me. But your will be done and not mine. Your will be done and not mine. That is what I call submissive praying. Let me tell you that. Where Jesus knew he was facing death itself on a cross and still he said, I would rather endure that than be outside of the will of God. And then it was his choice to go to the cross. And that's why it's so important for us to to learn from the best here this morning, to have this perspective to, to look past our own desires and our own faults and have a renewed mind in our prayer praying as jesus instructed so we're in week three of this is how you should pray that title comes straight from jesus's mouth this is how you should pray so today's uh, in, in the second part of the prayer we know so well and it is give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to talk about that just a little bit, and there's, there's three parts there. Obviously, we'll talk about provision, pardon, as well as protection. Those are three very important parts, but before we get there, I just want to come out of the gate saying that it's not wrong to pray for yourself and those around you. I'm not at all trying to profess the, that you're not allowed to pray for your needs and desires. I'm not at all trying to say that. Because I think Jesus modeled it here for us and he says, listen, it's, it's not just good, but it's necessary for you to pray for yourself and those around you. But he very clearly also stated it's not the purpose though. It's important and it's an important part of our prayers, but the purpose of prayer is not our own desires. The, pur- oh, the alliteration is insane. The purpose of prayer is not just so we get what we want. It's not what it's for. Listen, it breaks my heart every time I see God reduced to a vending machine. It really does. Every time that that people think, oh, but if I just have enough faith coins to put into my vending machine, then I'll get God to do what I want. Where? Where? That is not your kingdom come and your will be done. That is my will be done. So you better adapt your kingdom, oh God. It breaks my heart because we're missing it. We're missing the very purpose. We're missing engaging with our God and sharing what's on our heart. We're missing it. We're missing it. And he also wants the acknowledgement, by the way, that he is the ultimate supplier of all things. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God. See, I believe it honors God when we come to him and saying, Lord, I need money. I believe it honors him because it acknowledges that he's the source. So that's why I'm not at all saying that it's wrong to pray for ourselves. Not a chance. I believe it's honoring to God when I say, Lord, give me today my daily bread. Because it's acknowledging who he is and the role he plays. So let's get into it. The needs of the family is vitally important. Jesus teaches the second part. Um, and the ultimate goal of these, these personal requests is important to note that it's not our own happiness. But rather to supply us what we need to fulfill the purpose of God. When he gets to the second part, he's not saying now it's about you. No, not a chance. He's saying it's still about God, but you're going to need some stuff. It's still about God. Everything is about God. That purpose will never go away. The purpose of life is not health, wealth, and happiness. I'm sorry, it is not. The purpose of life is God. It is His glory. It is His honor forever and ever. Amen. We are there to be in the kingdom of God. We are there to subject ourselves to His will, His power, and His kingdom. And in that, even our prayers should reflect this reality. Even our prayers should show that, man, use us, O God, for your kingdom. Not, Lord, may we use your kingdom for our desires. And I'm sorry if I'm coming on a bit strong here. I believe that God is the provider. Amen. I believe that every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen. And I believe that every single one of us sitting here this morning has been blessed with more than what we need. Amen. But we should never misappropriate prayer for our own purpose. We should never, ever do that. Our prayers for our needs, for our provision, for pardon, for protection is still so that we can work towards the accomplishment of God's purpose so that He might be glorified here on earth. That's what we're doing. So in this section, Jesus touches on these three things, which is all three is very important. We're going to talk about all three just for a minute, and it's for provision, pardon, and protection. 
Isn't this practical? I love practical. I love it when the Bible tells me what to do. Anyway, so Jesus starts by saying that we should be asking God for our daily bread. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're wondering, is it low GI, you know? Um, what gluten-free, um, whole wheat, bread, no, not a chance. What Jesus is actually doing, he's reflecting back to the Exodus account where he promised that he will provide manna every day for that day. He also warned them, don't take more than you need, except obviously on the Sabbath, there'll be some extra, so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. Amen. Um, but that same promise, Jesus reiterating. He's like, he's saying, you can, you can trust God for your daily bread. You can trust God that He will continue to provide for you because that is who He is. Because God promised them enough, we can still realize that God is able to supply what we need. And Jesus is not just saying, hey, God is able. Jesus is encouraging. He's like, hey, you must start recognizing that. And you should pray, God, give me today my daily bread because He is able. And you can trust that He's a good God that will supply your needs. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Because let me just let you in on a bit of my theology, if you will. Jesus has done enough for me that he never has to do anything again. And he still deserves every breath that I have. He has already done enough. He has taken me from death and thrusted me forth into life. He has forgiven me my trespasses so that I might stand righteous before God because of the righteousness of Christ. If he never does anything for me again, he's done enough. And yet he says, I will supply your need. How incredibly gracious is our God. And he's encouraging us saying, remember, remember when they were in the desert, remember when they were in the wilderness, even there God supplied, he will supply again. See, most of us have been blessed with far more than what we need or can use or has even laid eyes on in the last year or even realized that we have in our houses or even if we try to use everything within a single week. That is most of our reality. And then we play the comparison game. We let Facebook and YouTube and uh, Instagram, or I don't know on what social media platform, WhatsApp, always, WhatsApp is important. All these videos that we receive, we get this idea of what we need, and then all of a sudden we go, God, I don't have what I need because I don't have what that person has. God didn't promise you to give you what He gave someone else. He promised to give you what you need. And then He said, be content and grateful in what you have. God promised that He can still provide, but we must be careful to remember that things can fail. Things will rot. Good ideas will grow bad. And, and I mean, even the money we have in our banks right now can go away overnight. You can lose your job. This is not prophecy. Don't worry. This is the reality. And as soon as we place our faith in our fridge to supply our food needs, our needs are misplaced. 
And what Jesus is reminding us is not just saying, hey, give me. What Jesus is reminding us is I start acknowledging that God is the ultimate provider. Acknowledge him that he is the one that gives you your daily bread. It is because of him that there's food in the fridge. It is because of him that there's pup in the cupboard. It is because of him that we're sitting here today and we've actually eaten in this day or week. It is because of his goodness and his grace and his glory and his mercy that he provides for us. And we acknowledge him realizing that everything we have comes from above according to the will of God. And we say, God, thank you. And like the Israelites in, in the desert, in the wilderness, we can say, Lord, thank you for our daily bread. And continue giving us that which we need. The second part is for pardon. And this is an interesting instruction because like daily bread is the sustenance we need for our spirits, for our bodies, pardon is what we need for our spirits. Bread is what we need for our bodies, the physical needs of our bodies. Pardon is what we need for our spirits. And this is an absolute reality. You know this. this is, we have all made some mistakes. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thanks to Adam and Eve, I'm not blaming them. I'm saying this is the reality. Sin entered the earth and we are all found guilty. And we need pardon to have life. But now when I'm talking about this, as believers, the beauty is we have the assurance that His blood has, has paid the price once and for all for our sin. And, and we read that in Hebrews 10, verse 10 and 14. We're not going to read it now, but that's where it stands. However, we need to apply that daily to our lives and to our hearts so that we might come before God with a clear conscience. We need to apply daily to our lives the pardon, the repentance of our lives because, well, we make mistakes daily, number one. <laughs> I think I'll admit that enough. But this continuous desire for, for righteousness and relationship and forgiveness is not a matter of eternal standing necessarily, but it's a matter of our present relationship with God. That's what we're talking about here. This pardon is saying, God, I don't want anything to taint my relationship with you. Just like Abby and Will are my kids, they'll be my kids forever. God chose me to be their father. And praise God that he gave me the two best children on earth. I'm blessed with that. Yes, and I chose my words very carefully. The best. Nothing can change the fact that they're my kids. That can't change. Even when they make mistakes. Even when they do their children-y things. But see, if you don't make right, if they don't come and say sorry, what they can do is they can taint the relationship. At the moment, I still need to teach them to do that, but there will come a day where, where they can taint the relationship if they would want to. And in the same way, daily pardon, when you come to God saying, hey, forgive us our sins, we're saying, Lord, we don't want anything to taint the relationship we have with you. Take away from me that which is not pleasing to you. Refine me, O oh God, through your Holy Spirit, so that I might glorify you. But this is an interesting one, because this one comes with this idea that if we do not forgive, we are not forgiven. Now, I just want to make, make it very clear, our salvation is not, or forgiveness is not dependent on our actions. Can I just say that? 
So it's not that we're earning God's forgiveness by forgiving. That's not at all what, he's actually, what Jesus is actually saying. Unforgiveness shows that the condition of our hearts is not conformed to the image of God. Unforgiveness in our lives towards others is showing, Lord, that, that while we want your forgiveness, we are not willing to show people the same grace we have been given. While your cross is enough for me, it's not enough for him. Jesus, you're going to have to die again if you think that person needs forgiveness. Just me. Look at what they did to me, Lord. I wonder how often Jesus is saying, look at what you did to me. But Lord, they wronged me. They stole from me. Yeah, you put me on a cross. We forgive not because it's easy. We forgive others not because we feel like it. We forgive because we are forgiven. Because we have been set free. So now we are in the business of setting free. That is who we are. Now, I want to say very clearly there, there are some difficult situations out there. I know. And sometimes these things are outside of your control. I acknowledge that as well. No, one WhatsApp doesn't mean you've tried everything you can. I just want to, just want to say that. Sending one WhatsApp saying, hey, can we be friends again? You've not done everything in your control, not yet. But the problem comes in when we walk around as the church with bitterness and hurt in our hearts, when we're tightening that noose around our own necks, hoping that the other person would choke to death. What we're doing is actually we're not submitting to the will of God and forgiveness. And when we pray this prayer, when we say, Lord, wait, may we as your church be forgiven as we forgive, my prayer is that we will forgive. That we will forgive. That we will let go of those things that the enemy has ensnared around our necks. That even this morning, as maybe that's your word for today. Maybe God is just on Father's Day. Maybe you should forgive your father. Maybe, maybe that's your thing this morning that you need to take a moment and say, Lord, I will no longer walk with the bitterness in my heart. I will submit to the teaching of Jesus Christ saying that, hey, Lord, forgive me as I forgive those around me. Let us not walk with the bitterness ensnared around our necks any longer. And the final point is we should pray, sorry, for protection from sin. There's a lot of peace in this sermon today. Pray for protection from sin. Now, now this is an interesting one because it says, lead us not into temptation. But, but we know from James 1 verse 13 to 14 that God cannot tempt anyone to sin. It is, that's, that's our own lust that tempts us to sin. Uh, and we further read in James 1 verse 2, it's not on there either, but God also instructs us or we instruct it through James that we must consider it all joy when we face trials. So what does it mean to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Because it sounds like we're, we're not actually submitting to this it sounds like we're we're asking God to do something he cannot actually well not do something he cannot do it's just it's a little bit confusing so I, I want us to to have some context around this because it's important that when we pray God deliver us we're we're, we're praying that that he would spare us we're praying for something that is good for us now I want to just start by saying, simply put, we should be asking God not to lead us through trials so deep that we would be tempted to be unfaithful to Him. I'm going to unpack that just a little bit more, but, but we do not want the temptation to be unfaithful to Him. And where we get this is Jesus seems to be using this word in the sense of avoidance, of, a te of temptation to sin, but we all know that temptation doesn't just come from outside, it comes from inside. 
We know that, that we have sinful desires in our lives to do everything that is wrong and nothing that is right. That is what Paul's saying. He wants to do what's right, but he does what is wrong because inside he just has this, this, this fight within him. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He, say, he means to say that we should be cultivating this attitude of fleeing from not just every sin, but every situation that might lead us to sin. So this idea that is... And it's far from just the leading us into temptation. We're praying that God would lead us into His ways of righteousness so that we might be kept from sinning. The best way to not sin is to move closer to God. Can I just say that? I don't know if you know this, but I used to be in youth ministry as every pastor ever. And we used to do a question and answer evening. It's still one of my favorite days. I absolutely love that, where any question is, is submitted and we'd research them and we'd give well-formulated answers, doctrinal, theological, boring answers to the tough questions of life. It is, it is life-giving. Let me promise you, we should do that as a church actually one day. Well, we should have a question. That would be fun. I'd enjoy that. But anyway, there's always one question that came up that, that bothered me, and that's how, how far is too far? You know? How far is too far in my relationships, in smoking, in drinking, in, I don't know, you name it. How, in other words, how far can I get from God before I'm too far from Him? How far can I run before I'm out of earshot? I just want to be in earshot, but let me tell, I promise you, I just want to be on the line of earshot, you know? I want to be, uh, like, like, if he calls, I must be like, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, but it mustn't be easy, you know? I want us to ask, how close is too close? What if our desire is not to be led into, not to be taken away from temptation of sin, but what about a desire to be led into the righteousness of God? What about a desire that wants more and more and more of Him in our lives? It's interesting when we have the right perspective of, of God, how strangely dim the things of earth truly becomes. And that is what's, what's here. It's, it's so much more than just a prayer of not being tempted. It's an acknowledgement, number one, of the weakness and the sinfulness of our hearts. It's acknowledging that, that hey, if, if God, if you leave me, I'm, I'm, I'm falling straight back into that. Without you, I'm going, I, I know I'm not strong enough without you, Lord. I'm not strong enough without your spirit. I'm not strong enough without your presence. I need you, God. So if you withdraw from me, I know I'm going to fall back there. And it's also cultivating this attitude that, that flees temptation rather than seeing how close to the brink of temptation we can come before falling into it. Let me tell you, I know you know your weakness. So don't flirt with it. I know you know where your weaknesses are. Don't flirt with it. If your weakness is, is bitterness towards authority, don't, don't start those conversations. Saying, oh, we're just going to objectively talk. No, you're going to negative yourself. Is that a, can you say that? You're going to negativate yourself. There we go. Stop negativating yourself. If you know that your temptation is, 
the sinful desires, leave it. Run from it. Don't start with it. This is what we're praying. We're praying, Lord, we recognize that we are evil, that we are sinful, and that we need your righteousness to protect us from the evil one. We're saying, Lord, we're going to follow after you. One person stated it well, you see, and he rephrased it like this. He said, Lord, if the occasion of sinning presents itself, grant that the desire may not be found in me. And if the desire is there, grant that the occasion may not represent itself. This last couple of weeks on prayer, all I've done, all I've done has looked at what Jesus taught us on how to pray. You know me. I, I love the Word of God. I think the Word of God is, is beneficial and useful for, for correcting and rebuking. I believe it is there to instruct us and to encourage us. And I cannot, cannot think of a better person to live, learn from than Jesus Himself. And over the last three weeks, we've spent some time at looking at each of these principles that he taught on prayer in this passage specifically. And I know that, that ultimately this is the kind of truth that if we apply it in our lives, we will be building our houses on a solid foundation, a rock that cannot be shaken. And this is what Jesus instructs us, that, that if we put the Father first and, and relationship with Him first, if we focus our hearts on his purposes on his kingdom on his will if we pray and say lord first of all today i want to pray that you will come and you will teach us your word that we might be conformed to your image i warned you while i was sitting there we were praying man i just started praying and i was like lord help me to stay faithful to the teaching of the gospel of jesus christ to the words of the scripture Help me, Lord, to be a faithful servant, not of my own ideas and the own meditations of my heart, but rather the objective truth of the Word of God. Because let me tell you something. I'm getting excited. Let me tell you something. It doesn't say here, follow Heinz's advice and your house will be built on the rock. He says so clearly, follow my teaching. And when you build your life upon this, you will not be shaken when the storms come. So let's pray. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it. Lonnie's going to put it on the screen. This is not going to be empty words. We've, sp we've spoken about this for three weeks, and we're going to pray this incredible prayer together. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9, of Jesus saying this is how we should pray. And I want you to pray it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one let me pray for you lord i thank you that we know we are equipped to pray your way I pray, Lord, that, that what we've learned over the last three weeks would change the way that we approach you in relationship. I pray, Lord, that we would pray powerful prayers from the heart, that we would be honest. I pray, Lord, that we would submit to the Father 
I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would be our first priority, that your will will become our first desire. In that, Lord, I thank you that we can pray for our own needs and the needs of our families. I thank you that we can pray for the needs of our church. I thank you, Lord, that we still have the promise that you are the provider and that you would give us everything we need for our physical needs. I thank you, Lord, that we can pray for pardon, that you will forgive us so that nothing might stand in way of relationship with the Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you will not lead us in temptation more than we can bear, but rather, Lord, that we would be searching your righteousness in our lives, not seeing how far we can come from it. I pray, Lord, that our prayer lives would become alive once again, that it would be filled with the presence of God as we submit our lives to your way of prayer. We praise you, God. We worship you. We thank you for your instruction, and we thank you that we might be conformed to the image of Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.